Hey, good morning, church. Trust you are doing well this morning. Um, Hey, you know what? I know you don't see all that this team does and all of the obstacles and all the things that they're doing and moving forward. Like, again, you know, in your comments section, like, let's just show this tech team some love because they're constantly, constantly doing things that you don't see on behalf of the gospel. But, hey, I want to say... Good morning. Again, thank you for allowing us into your home this morning. We are truly humbled by that. We are honored by that. And we pray that the presence of Jesus graces you this morning. And we ask that um, he would minister to your hearts. Not only that, would he shed truth and grace to whatever area in your life that you need to experience him in. Um, My name is Brandon Ziske, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. Our heartbeat, as uh, Pastor BJ said earlier, is we strive to be simply all about Jesus. At the end of the day, he is the one that matters. He's the one that changes everything. And so if you were just to ask us, what are we about? We want to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. That's who we are here at Austin Oaks Church. And, um, and I have some exciting news to share with you because I know a lot of people have been wondering and asking. Um, July 12th, this is a date you're going to want to circle on your calendar, okay? If you have a smart device or whatever it is, you just want to make sure that you got that date circled, highlighted, you know, memos and all kind of stuff there. July 12th is when, as of today, that's kind of the key, key phrase in our church, as of today, we're planning on kind of reopening, or not kind of, reopening our campus to have our worship service together. Now, I know there's a lot of details, and I know that it's going to invoke a lot of questions that you might be having right now, but listen, we will roll out those details We'll answer those questions as best we can. I just want you to know we're planning on July 12th. Our heartbeat has been in this whole pandemic to be safe, smart, and gospel-driven. So we've been taking our time. And we also want to see what's going to happen in the month of June due to, you know, the potential peak and all this kind of stuff, all the things that are out there. Again, we just want to be safe, smart, and cautious. We would open up earlier but you think about it, statistics always tell us that usually the last Sunday of the month and the 4th of July weekend, most people don't come to church anyway. So we say, hey, let's just wait till a weekend when most people will be around July 12th. July 12th is our time where we're going to open up our campus again. So that's exciting. Now, into the message this morning. Um, I, these past two weeks have been extremely difficult for me as it relates to trying to discern God's heart and and his mind and what he would like for us as a church to hear and process in his word. And it just constantly keeps feeling like my head and my heart are just not in sync. I feel numb at some moments. I feel deeply passionate about some things in some other moments. And honestly, it feels like come Friday, when usually my sermon should be kind of like all wrapped up and done and ready to go, Friday comes and I feel like I have to start all over. And like, it just keeps coming to this place of like, Lord, I have nothing to offer. I just feel like the only thing I can offer the Lord is my silence. It's just like, Lord, just use me. Just speak through me. And so a lot of times God has been having me in this deep wrestling and it's been good. It's been sweet. The burden has been heavy, but it's good because it's drawn me closer to Jesus. It's been putting me on my knees to ask of him and his heart and his spirit. And I believe that God not only wants me, but he wants you as well to see things the way he sees things. To understand our circumstances the way he understands them. To think the way he thinks. To feel the way he feels. To love the way he loves. And to hate evil and cling to that which is good. I've been reminded over and over of Micah 6, 8. Where we are exhorted to act justly. To love mercy. 
and to walk humbly with your God. And the part that just keeps nailing me as I think about this verse is, what does the Lord require of you? What are his expectations of you as you follow him? Well, it's to act justly. Now, this is the phrase I want you to grab onto right now because this is where we're going this morning, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. For me, that means I come to this table, this pulpit, to tell you I have nothing that I can offer you except Jesus and his word. I have literally nothing I can give you. I could give you the greatest charismatic speech in the world, but if Jesus doesn't touch your heart, it's all in vain. He's all I can give. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, come humbly. Humble yourself before the Lord. We are in a tense moment in history, and it shouldn't be surprising People are censored left and right for saying certain things because they might not be on whatever side is considered to be right in that moment. We are in a time when people can simply choose to cancel you. But we stand here as believers in Jesus knowing that nobody could ever censor the word of God. Nobody can ever cancel God's word because his word will always be right. It will always be true. It will always be good. and It will always be leading to life. This is what we need this morning. And this is why I feel like God has us in this series is for you and I to understand who he is. Because when we understand who he is, that informs and flavors every single thing. Everything. When we understand who he is, we begin to understand his ways. And when we understand his ways, we will start to long for him more, to know him more. We will want to see things the way he thinks things, to feel what he feels, to love the way he loves, and to bring about what he desires here on earth. We will gladly pray, and not just pray, but we will gladly act for his kingdom to come. What's in heaven to come down here? when we understand who he is. Now here's something that's really important and it should go without saying, but I think we need to be reminded of this. We will only want to see God's kingdom come. We will only really pray for his kingdom to come when we know the heart of the one on the throne. A kingdom implies a king and the kingdom is built off of the heartbeat of a king. So we want to know the king. We want to know him. We want to understand who he is and his ways. Because when we do, listen, church, it informs how we see the world. It helps us make sense of all of the things around us. Not only that, individually and corporately as a people, it awakens in us a true capacity to be who God created us to be as a people. It shows us our weaknesses, our brokenness, and our sins, and it moves us into the light of his grace and the beauty of who he is. We need him. If the church were to be effective and if the church were to be alive, listen, we have to know him. We will never rise above our concept or our understanding of who God is. In fact, this is just a true principle of life. Every single human being created is a worshiper. We all imitate something. We all give our hearts and our allegiance and our desires to something else. This is a principle of life. We will never rise above what we worship, ever. We will become like that which we worship, not above it. We will conform to it. We will be molded by it. We will imitate it. We will reflect it. Don't believe me? Open up your social media. Not right now. 
maybe in a little bit. Look at the world around us. Fruit never lies. It's a byproduct of what the society at large worships. The chaos, the pain, the turmoil, the division, it's all a reflection of all of the gods that people have been worshiping. For instance, humanism, atheism, materialism, individualism, even down considering components of critical theory, it isn't a reflection of who God is as described in the Bible. The God that is described here in the Bible is if, like if we were to try, try, and, and that's a dangerous word to say, like we're going to try to define God. You got to understand as we try to talk about who God is, our words are always going to fall short. But if we were just to look at scriptures, a good way to summarize who he is, he's a God of justice and he's a God of love. Our society has taken God out of the public arena. And what's happening what is our society crying out for? Is it not justice and love? But you can never have true justice and you can never have true love when you take God out of society. So church, this is our mandate to know him because when we know him, it moves us to want to be like him and to reflect him. It wants us to go, I love the king and I want that king's kingdom here. Look at Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 for a moment. I mean, this is a great little psalm as we look at the world at large. Why do the nations rage? There's a little bit of raging going on, isn't there? And the peoples, they plot in vain. The kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers, they take counsel together against the Lord and, the, and against his anointed. Jesus saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. We want nothing to do with him. We want to go our own way. We're going to change the truth of God for lies. We're going to create gods in our own image. We're going to worship what we want to worship. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, the culture is going to reflect. We individually will reflect what we worship. Now, church, I need to step on some toes for a moment because, and, and I, can, I can do this with confidence because this is the journey I've been on. We right? We're not exempt from this. We individually and corporately as a church reflect to what we worship for better, for worse. And I'm going to be the first one to admit to you that my worship isn't always given to Jesus. He doesn't always have my heart. There's a lot of times I give it to other things, lesser things. There's a lot of times I want what I want. I want myself to matter more than him. I covet. I get greedy tempted to lie, to slander, mal... I know you are too. And here's the deal. We always know what we're worshiping because it's always going to come out. The fruit doesn't lie. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Church, listen. We need to walk humbly with our God. We need to humble ourselves before him. Allow his word to speak to our hearts because, listen, how we see how we see the present situations in this life reflects how we see and know God. How we see the present situations in this life reflects how we see and know God. 100%. Knowing him is paramount. Psalm 910 reminds us, those who know your name, those who know your name, your character, 
your reputation, your reputation, your heart. They put their trust in you. Do you feel like maybe this morning your faith is weak, given to fear and anxiety? You feel a little bit like you're wavering. You feel like maybe you're losing hope. You don't know how to make sense of the situation. You don't know where God is. You don't understand why this is happening and that's happening. Listen, I can give you no better solution than to know his name, to know your king, to know Jesus. Because when you know him, it changes everything. And like we said last week, our problem as humanity is that we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We had the opportunity and the privilege to know God intimately in a relationship with him, but we chose to go our own way, to be our own gods, and to decide what is right and wrong, to decide for ourselves what is evil and what is good. And that's never been our right. And it still isn't to this day. And the moment we have done that, we caused this gap, this separation, this chasm between us and God. And ever since then, we know that something's wrong. Instinctively, we know. Like there, there is this gap, this void inside of our hearts that longs and knows that there is a God. And a lot of times it takes a lot more faith to convince yourself that there is no God. And so we busy ourselves trying to create God in our own image. Because we want to appease that. We want to settle and quiet down the guilt and the shame and all the other things that we know we are doing that is hostile to him. But this is, this is such good news. Like, you got to understand, this is great news for the world. God wants to be known. Like, God wants us to know him. Even in the midst of our rebellion, in the, even in the midst of deciding to trade away the glorious truth of knowing him for lies and creating God in our own image, he still moved towards us because he knows what the greatest thing is for us is to know him. And so he always took the first step. He was the one who made a way. In fact, we even see the gift of mercy right away in Genesis 3 where he starts to prophesy saying, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. We even see that in how he restores the relationship with Adam and Eve by shedding blood of an animal, making sure that the animal skin is now their covering. God is the one who takes the first step. He wants to be known. L listen, I need you, I want you, I want you to get this through your head right now in your heart. Because I know there's some of you who believe that God doesn't want you to know him or that it's impossible to know him. You have to take this by faith. He wants you to know him. He sent his son, Jesus, so that you could know him and have life and life eternal, peace that surpasses all understanding because he's the one who overcame the world. He's the only one that can make all, right, all wrongs right. He wants to be known. And so here's how this works. In this whole series, this is going to be the pattern. And I'm going to say this every time I get the opportunity to preach. God reveals himself. And whenever God reveals himself, that tells us God wants to be known, okay? This is God revealing himself, his heart and his character. In fact, in Hebrews 1, we know that like, God speaks to us primarily through his son Jesus, right? Who is the radiance and the exact imprint of his nature. So God reveals himself. We can only worship God once we respond to revelation. So God reveals himself, we respond, Okay, this is important. We don't create our understanding. Of, it is so hard to not move. Man, I hate the camera. It, it, 
This is so important for us to understand, okay? Because so many times we try to create God in our own image. In other words, we try to understand God from the bottom up, from our experiences. But it can never work that way. God is altogether different. There is no one like him. And by the fact that there is no one like him means you can never understand him. You can never even think of him. He has to reveal himself to you in order for you to know him. You can't worship him unless God chooses to reveal himself to you. What grace, what mercy of God to do that when we chose to, to care less? He reveals, we respond in worship. This is the pattern. He reveals his heart, his character, his justice, his holiness, everything about him, we respond. And the more we respond in worship, the more we know and the more we respond, this is what starts to happen. We become renewed. Our minds and our hearts are constantly being renewed, transformed into the image of his likeness because we reflect or we imitate that which we worship. And the more we are becoming renewed, guess what happens? We reflect him by how we live. He He reveals We respond in worship. The more we worship, the more we are renewed. Our hearts and our minds, and the more we renewed we are, the more we reflect him in how we live. Case in point. Last week we were in Ephesians chapter 2 talking about reconciliation. How God took the Gentiles and the Jews, two different types of people, different ethnicities, those who are far away and those who are near, and he tore down the wall of hostility and made them one. But this is a response of revelation. Because we started all the way back in chapter 2. God revealed himself to us that we are objects of his wrath because we sinned. In verse 4 of chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy. This is a revelation of who he is. He's merciful. He loved us. He saved us by grace. He brought those who are far near and those who are near to the cross. Reconcile us through Jesus. And this culminates, we see this in Ephesians chapter 3, in this worship like, oh my goodness, I pray before, like this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of glory, he may grant you in strength with power through his spirit to know the height, the depth, and the width of the love of Christ to him who is immeasurably more than all we can ask him. That's worship. They're like, he is so much God, would you reveal more of your love? I can't believe you reconciled not only me with you, but you reconciled these peoples like, who would never come together. You, you did something here. Oh my goodness, God, could you do more? Reveal more. They're worshiping him. Chapter four, five, six, guess what's happening? Now let's talk about how you're going to be renewed. Now let's talk about how you should live in light of this revelation. It goes on, I therefore, a prisoner of work, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling because now that you received this and you worship, this is how you should be living. And on and on and on, and all of a sudden in chapter five, verse one and verse two, we see this exhortation. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He reveals, we respond in worship. And that begins to renew our hearts and our minds and we begin to live out a different way. And that's why Paul is saying, listen, be imitators, 
know him. He's revealed himself because as you know him, you will worship him. And that's just going to start this process of living a different way of life. How can you imitate him if you don't know him? How can you imitate God if you don't know him? How could you care and pray for his kingdom to come when you don't even know the king? This verse reminds us and speaks clearly. We imitate what we worship. So church, I'm speaking to you. I'm not speaking to those who don't know Jesus. I'm speaking to you who do know Jesus. Imitate him. Get to know him. God reveals, we respond. So this morning, with the time that I have left, I want to talk to you about God's mercy. I want to talk to you about the characteristic of mercy. God is a merciful God because God is mercy. Now I know that there is not enough time for me ever to exhaust the depth and the richness of that attribute. And I know that some of you might be thinking, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Listen, I know I don't have all the time to explain it all. I just want to share with you some of the things I felt like God wanted me to share with you. God is a merciful God because God is mercy. Now, I need you to understand this as we talk about who God is and what God is like. You have to have this point on the forefront of your mind at every single attribute because whatever God is, okay, whatever God is, God is infinitely and perfectly that. If God is mercy, he is infinitely merciful. If God is mercy, he is perfectly merciful. Like there is no end to God's mercy. There is no beginning to God's mercy. His mercy is without bounds. It's without limits. You can't measure it. It was never created. It just was. It's eternal. God is mercy. He doesn't have mercy. That's a totally different thing. He is mercy. He is perfectly all of that. You can't measure this. It's not like God in one moment is more merciful than another moment because if God were to be more merciful in one moment than another, he's impartial or partial. <laughs> God doesn't have it. He is it. If, he, if, he like did, if it wasn't him and if it was just something that he had, listen, that, that could be really scary because you don't know if he's going to be merciful or not. Like what if God misplaced it? Or like, what if like, God ran out of it? Or what if he goes, ah, this circumstance isn't worthy of mercy? God is. He is mercy. When you think of God, this is one part of his essence. He is mercy. He is infinitely mercy. He is perfectly merciful. 100%. You can't measure it. There's not one little flaw. God is not 99.999% merciful. He has to be 100% in order to be God. Now, I want you to think about that. And these are thoughts that are just so hard for our minds to understand because, quite frankly, we're finite. We have bounds. We have limitations in our minds. Like, we only can understand so much of God. We only can understand what he reveals to us. Right? So God is mercy. He's eternal, perfect. Everything about him 
is merciful. He never forgets to be merciful. He's not going to choose to not be merciful in this situation or that situation. He always is merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is God's active compassion towards us. It's a response to our human hurts, our issues, our problems, our groanings, our wanderings, our lostness. Mercy is withholding what we deserve in order to attempt to change our situation. Okay, I want to repeat that. It's, this is so important. Mercy is withholding what we deserve. What do we deserve? Because we exchanged the glory of God for a lie and we chose to go our own way to worship our own selves, whatever it is, idolatry. What we deserve is death, eternal separation. And God is perfectly just to execute that. Mercy is, is withholding that in order to change our circumstance. Mercy is not the same as grace. And oftentimes you can be confused because grace is a gift where God gives us something that we just simply don't deserve freely. Now, mercy is God's act of compassion that's shown towards us when, when it's within his power to do whatever it is we deserve. Before Jesus and before we received the gift of life, we are objects of wrath. We rightly deserve that. But God's mercy is saying, hold up. Let me see. Let me try to convince him and show him and lead him to the cross. This is so important for us to understand. Exodus 34, verse 6 through 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, in this moment, when God called Moses up back up to Mount Sinai for the second time, think about all the things that already happened to the nation of Israel. They're already doubting God's character. They're already slandering him. In fact, they're already uh, given into a gross sin by worshiping a golden calf and going, hey, look, this is the calf. Out it came, and this is the God that rescued us from Egypt. In the midst of this fire and this storm and God's presence on the mountain right behind them, God is merciful. He's giving them another opportunity. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Whatever God is, he is infinitely that. Whatever God is, he is perfectly that. He's keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin against God's righteousness, God's holiness. However, God is just. And within that justice, if you don't receive the, the, the pardon that God offers, he will visit the sin and iniquity. Justice has to happen because God is not only just merciful, he's infinitely just and perfectly just. God delights in being merciful. One of the things I, I hear from a lot of people often is that they go, I don't like to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament is when God is angry. 
The New Testament is God is happy. And I'm like, that is horrible thinking. I wouldn't say it that way. But when you say that, you're, you're essentially saying God changed. And, and I'm telling you right now, I don't want to worship a God who changes. I, I need a God who is steadfast, who is constant, who is eternally whatever he is. In fact, the word mercy, hesed in the Old Testament, is said more than in the New Testament. If God is infinitely merciful, that means he forever was merciful, even in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. His dealings with the nation of Israel is God's mercy that ultimately points to Jesus, Jesus' cross and resurrection and, future, and ascension and future return. It points all towards that. God is a merciful God. God doesn't delight in, in, in punishing people. God doesn't delight in that. God delights in being merciful, okay? And here's why I say that. Like, look at Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. God speaking through the prophet. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Time out. Who's wicked? Let's just... Remember who we are apart from Jesus. Who's wicked? I hope you're humble enough to say, me. I am. Right here. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Do you see God's heart? For why will you die, O house of Israel? And then let's look at the New Testament, how we see God delighting in mercy and delaying justice, right? 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What do we deserve? I mean, this is a major issue that humanity needs to ask again and again and again because the concept of evil, the concept of bad is no longer defined biblically. It's, don't, Please hold off on your comments for a moment. We define good and evil, bad and right now, through depending on which political party you're on versus whatever Bib the Bible teaches us. We can't do that. What, what, is, what, is, what is bad? What is evil? What do we deserve? The wages of sin is death. And God is just to execute that. The problem is, is that we think that we're good enough and that makes God mean. I can't worship a God of wrath. You're missing this heart. God doesn't want you to perish. That's why he sent his son Jesus. We're the ones who chose the truth of God for a lie. We're the ones who want to define evil. We're the ones who want to define wickedness based upon my concept of God and what I want in my own life. 
God is a just God. He is a righteous God. He is a holy God. And we need God to be those things because God is a just God. Listen, when justice confronts human guilt, there is a sentence. There is a punishment. And the punishment is death. That's how serious our worship is. What we give our hearts to. Life or death. That's how serious our sin is. It has caused a forever separation between us and God. It's caused a forever separation between you and myself. Look at our culture. Look at society. The wages of our sin, the actions of our sin is death. And no amount of trying to show God that we're sorry and no amount of how much good or legislation or whatever it is can change that. Do we go for those things? Absolutely. But it doesn't change the situation. We are under God's wrath. But God, in Ephesians 2.4, tells us, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, he's the one that came. It's God's mercy. Listen, it's God's mercy that postpones the execution of that sentence. When God's justice confronts our sin, there is a sentence. God's mercy postpones the execution of that sentence. Now, mercy can't cancel out that punishment apart from some sort of payment, some sort of reparation. We don't have enough to make that payment. So God, who is just, who is just to punish us for our sins, for trading away him for lesser things, he's merciful, delaying the punishment. He's the one who sent his son, Jesus, to make atonement for our sins, for our wrong, for our breach of justice. The atonement was the price he paid for you, for me. Mercy is what brought Jesus here. Mercy is what brought Jesus to take on flesh. He was God in heaven. He came to his own. He walked in our, in our flesh suit, as it were, to show us the way. What does that tell us about God's heart? He showed you everything about his heart. The mercy of God is what brought Jesus to the cross. And it's now the mercy of God that woos us to himself. It's the mercy of God that is patient with us, that is long-suffering with us, that intercedes for us. Infinitely and perfectly merciful is God. He is compassionate, which causes him to act, to move towards us. It would have been just and fair for God to leave us eternally separated from him. Yeah, but that's just not right. That's not for us to decide. Anytime we kick back in that, we're just acting like our ancestors, Adam and Eve. I'm going to choose what's right and wrong. No. It would have been just and fair for God to leave us eternally separated from him. Yet God mercifully created a way to save me and to save you from being a violator of his just law. Jesus became our representative and died under unjust circumstances. And God used the injustice of Rome and the injustice of the Jewish nation as a means for Jesus, who was innocent, <clears throat> to take on my guilt and to legally pay for my sin. He paid for my sin by being my propitiation, appeasing the justice of God. That is justification, which means I have now been declared right because of Jesus. 
So when God looks at me, when justice looks at me, it doesn't see my sin. It sees the atonement of Jesus. That is God's mercy in action. That is compassion. I wanted to read with you a story that choked me up when I read this. And I can't think of another illustration or story, and it's a true story, I can't think of another story that depicts the mercy of God so well. After the First World War, the United States, with its big heart, gave vast sums of money to the dislocated orphans of Europe. But they didn't have enough money to meet the need. In one of the places where they were taking in orphans, a man came in, very thin, very large, unnaturally bright eyes, thin cheeks, thin arms, leading a little girl. She also showed signs of malnutrition, eyes too large and bright, her little abdomen distended and her thin little legs and arms too small and too thin for her age. This man let her in and said to the person in charge, I would like you to take in my little girl. And they asked him if she was his daughter and he said, yes. Well, they said, we're awfully sorry. But our rule here is that only full orphans can receive any help. If one of the parents is living, we can't take responsibility because we just don't have enough. There are too many full orphans for us to take a half orphan. And he looked down at his little girl and she looked up questioningly with big, two bright eyes. And, and then he turned and said, well, you know, I can't work. I'm sick. I've been abused. I've been in prison. I've been half starved. And now I'm old and I can't work. I can barely stagger around, but I brought her down for you to take care of her. And they said, sir, we're sorry, but there's nothing we can do. And he said, you mean that if I were dead, you take care of my little girl and feed her so she could live and have a clothing and a home? They said, yes. And then he reached down and pulled her little skinny body up to himself and hugged her and kissed her. And then he put her hand in the hand of the man at the desk and said, I'll arrange that. And he walked out of the room and committed suicide. Now I know that's a drastic picture, but it's no real different than what God the Father did for us. He arranged a way for us to be adopted into his family. That's mercy. It's grace. It's justification. God reveals himself. We respond in worship. He reveals, we respond. And as we do that, we become renewed. And as we are renewed, we reflect him by how we live. Revelation leads to worship. Worship leads to becoming like imitating. God's mercy is extended to all people, but not all people will actively choose to receive God's mercy. When God saw our condition, he moved in compassion towards us because that's just simply who God is. And that should create in us a posture of humility. I want to start talking about what, how this affects how we should live now. Those of us who received the mercy of God, which is really kind of all of us, to be honest, but those of us who received the mercy of God through the atonement of Jesus, who are now justified by faith through grace, we need to be people of mercy, be imitators of God, beloved children. Let's not be like this guy in Luke 18, 9 through 14. 
As Jesus was telling a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give the tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Every man who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your Lord. Oh, I'm better than them. It's not my issue. Look at them. They need to get their act together. God, I know I deserve your favor. You should be pleased with me. Look at me. The Pharisees should have been the one who knew God. But ultimately in this story, Jesus reveals to us that the tax collector is the one who knows God better because he comes to God in a posture of humility, pleading for the mercy of God. Church, this is our position. Humble yourself before the Lord. But let's be honest, okay? We can easily lose sight of being merciful and compassionate, can't we? It's so easy to start to compare and contrast other people. It's so much easier even today to be more concerned about a political position than people's souls. We can care more being against this or that, but we need to remember that God's mercy is always towards us, moving towards us. It's his kindness that led us to repentance. And it's his kindness that is pleading with other people to repent and come to know him. Apart from his mercy, you and I would have been consumed. So how dare we start to think that other people aren't worthy of that either? So church, let's never be like that Pharisee. And let's never be like this Pharisee in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. This is so pathetic. Okay, this, this is really pathetic. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What was the role of the scribes and the Pharisees? To lead people to a better understanding of who God was, an understanding of the kingdom of God, and to ultimately develop a heart for God and for his kingdom. Now, listen, they weren't opposed to justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They just didn't devote the same care and passion to working them out as they did to, the, to tithing herbs. Think about that. They cared more about how much they tithe out of their herbs than they did when it came to justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Over and over and over, did we not hear God say, I do not desire sacrifice, but mercy. If we receive mercy, we have to be people of mercy. So here's the question. What does mercy look like today? What does it look like today? If we are following Jesus and we in the church understand that we are to act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly, what does it look like today? It looks like grieving with those who grieve. It looks like mourning with those who mourn before we blast the truth out. Grace and truth 
have to go together. It means carrying the burdens of each other because that's what we're exhorted to do as brothers and sisters in Christ is to carry each other's burdens, to move towards people, to not just be sympathetic, but to be empathetic, people of compassion who take a step towards someone, to walk alongside someone, to know someone instead of assuming we know. It's compassion like the Good Samaritan. I was debating if I was going to share this or not, but I'm going to. This last Sunday, I got an email after the message and the email that I read crushed me. And it wasn't someone scathing me or telling me, you know, I'm too far this, I'm too far that. It was somebody in our church, a family in our church, sharing with me how they're hurting in this season. Sharing with me how they experienced racism. And, and, I, and I read the email and I went, not them. There, no way. And, and, and the whole time, like, I even had to confess to them. I was like, I was like man, I am so sorry that I thought that it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, yes, I know it affects some people, racism, but like, not you. How could it be you? You know, and, and in that moment, God showed me, he's like, Brandon, you have a lot to learn when it comes to compassion and mercy. And I was surprised. And all of a sudden, it struck me. It just struck me. I was like in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how the church is the body, right? That if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Folks, listen, there are people in our church, and not just Austin Oaks Church, but our people, church globally and people around the world that are hurting. I remember one time I was doing construction and, and I smashed my thumb because I'm really good with the hammer. Smashed my thumb. And if you've ever done that, probably the, not the most holy of words come out. It, it hurts so bad. And I can tell you what my body didn't say. My body didn't say, ah, that ain't my problem. Uh, my whole body shut down and stopped and focused completely on that thumb that was throbbing. There are people in our body that are hurting. And for us to be blasting things, you know, just like truth, 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 which is good. There's always a time for truth, but to move in compassion and mercy is what we need to do. In the story of the Good Samaritan, which was a shock to everyone, there's someone who was beaten, abandoned, lying on the side of the road, the priest, the rabbi, right? The, the religious leaders passed on the other side, but it was a Samaritan where there was great racism, struggle between Jewish people and Samaritans. He was the hero of the story. And Jesus, at the end of that story, whew, could you imagine? Jesus, at the end of the story, looks to his crowd and says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, listen, I know I didn't exhaustively communicate clearly all of my thoughts there. And I know I left probably created more questions than, than answers. But God is a God of mercy, infinitely merciful, perfectly merciful, move towards us in mercy. 
because he doesn't want us to perish. Mercy drove him to the cross. And for those of us who are children of God, adopted as sons and daughters of God, we receive that mercy. Now, for us, we are to go and do likewise. Revelation leads to worship. He reveals, we respond. And as we worship, we imitate him. So Father, I just pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in the areas that we need to. Lord, I pray that in the midst of my words, even now that you would turn water into wine, that your spirit would communicate what you need to communicate. Lord, I pray that where my words fell short or maybe where my words were confusing, Lord, dare I even say misleading, I'm fallible, you're not. Lord, I pray that your spirit would redirect. Lord, I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be merciful people because you are merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Lord, I pray that we would slow down, move towards people in compassion, extend kindness, extend love, to not just talk about it, to not just post about it, to stop clicking on it, but to actually engage person to person, life on life, relationship to relationship. Lord, I pray that we would take that call seriously where you said to us, go and do likewise. Lord, I ask that in this season, we would act justly, we would love mercy, and we would walk humbly with you. So Lord, speak to our hearts. Seal your word in us now. In Christ's name. Amen.